0: Presented by the Common Sense Institute, welcome to Common Sense Digest, the podcast that seeks to inject a little common sense into Colorado's policy discussion. Here's your host, Earl Wright. Welcome to Common
1: Sense Digest podcast. My name is Earl Wright, and I am chairman of the board of Common Sense Institute and your host today. Healthcare is a multiplier for the Colorado economy. We're going to explain that today and some of the issues associated with it. A happy, healthy workforce and citizenry produce a happier, healthier economic and climate. On top of that, the healthcare industry itself is one of Colorado's biggest economic pillars and something that we have had a great deal of pride in the last two decades. Leaders need to guard that pillar carefully. Dr. Reggie Washington is here to talk with me about the broad role and impacts of the healthcare industry has in Colorado, and the challenges it faces in the new decade. Dr. Washington was the Chief Medical Officer of Rocky Mountain Hospital for Children and Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center until 2023. He's co-founder of the Rocky Mountain Children's Health Foundation and the co-founder and medical director of Rocky Mountain Pediatric Cardiology. He's now serving as our Common Sense Institute's health and wellness fellow and we're very proud of it and very fortunate to have him associated with us. Thanks for being here today with us, Reggie.
0: Thank you, Errol. and I appreciate the opportunity to go into some detail for our report on the health care uh, segment of Colorado's economy. Uh, I'd like to start out by reminding uh, the listeners that they often don't think about health care until either one, they have to pay a premium or they're wondering why their bill is so high. Other than that, people don't think about health care unless they need the services that healthcare care provides. They either had an injury of some sort and they go to an emergency department. Uh, they're ill with COVID or the flu or something of that nature, and they want antibiotics or treatment, or they have a child who needs uh, pediatric checkups or they're pregnant. Other than that, People generally don't think of health care as an economic driver, so I think this report is very enlightening regarding how important healthcare is to the economic well-being of the state. Let's
1: start right there. Thank you for the lead-in. It's, um, as the report says, it's one of the state's biggest economic pillars. It, there's a wide spectrum of jobs, and how about giving us a sense of how big the economic impact is and the width? of those jobs and the number of folks we're employing?
0: Well, if you look directly at how many people are directly employed by the healthcare industry, that number is a little over 300,000, which may be an astonishing number to someone who hasn't thought about it. And those 300,000 jobs contribute about $45 billion, with a B in sales to our Colorado economy. If, however, you look at all the related industries that are uh, helping healthcare deliver the product, there are about 744,000 jobs and about $147 billion in sales. Now, that may surprise people, but if you think about it, a healthcare facility, be it a clinic, be it a hospital, be it an urgent care, be it a doctor's office, All those locations require electricity, they require construction, they require various supplies, either directly or indirectly, related to that enterprise. And so, taken as a whole, the healthcare industry is very important and very vital to the economic well-being of our state.
1: Well, it seems to me that what we're talking about here is not only a significant part of the state, but incrementally a very uh important with regards to the welfare and, and also just to the future of the state and people wanting to live here to continue to live here. But I do have a question for you that has to do with the folks that are providing the services. Could you share with us the, the kind of the composition of the people that are directly involved? What are we talking about? What kind of staff are we talking about? And then also kind of the, the supplemental uh, folks. And then I have a follow-up question to that.
0: Okay, fine. Uh, let's go into that in a little bit of detail. When we talk about the healthcare industry, we're talking about the ambulatory environment. Those are the clinics, the urgent care, uh, places where people go to deliver care that is outside of a hospital. And then, obviously, there are hospitals that deliver care. There are nursing homes and rehab centers, and then various social service entities that help keep our citizens healthy. I will point out that most people who live in a metropolitan area really don't think about all of these health care providers because they're intermingled with a lot of different uh, enterprises. There's industry, there's transportation, there's educational facilities, uh, retail outlets and so forth. And so hospitals and clinics don't stand out. But if you go to a rural community, often in a small rural, rural community, the healthcare industry is the biggest provider of employment and the bigger biggest consumer of products in that small community. So I think it wouldn't surprise people in rural Colorado how important health care is as an employment source, but it is kind of surprising in an urban environment where people don't think about it on a day to day basis.
1: You know, I was surprised to, to see the numbers. Uh, with regards to uh, people being served in the rural environment and the economics compared to the economics and the urban environment, the number of people that, I guess, proportional number of people being served and the economic impact is really uh, significantly different than in, in rural versus urban. Do you want to talk about that a little bit?
0: It is, and and it's uh, b- becoming under some stress, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But uh, if you think about it, if you're in a rural area and you need healthcare services, it's very inconvenient and sometimes not safe to travel long distances to receive your health care. So health care facilities are extremely important and very vital in a rural community. And remember, there's usually only one hospital and one clinic and maybe one or two physician's offices in these small communities. So it's very important that they... Are very vital. Not only are they vital in their existence, but we need to make sure they continue to exist. That's becoming more and more of a problem because of the economic pressures that the healthcare industry is undergoing presently. Some of these uh, services are leaving communities and that's creating a problem in its own right. But remember, if someone leaves a community, a physician leaves a community, closes a clinic, that leaves people unemployed. It leaves the services that aren't available. But it also decreases the demand for certain supplies, be it construction uh, and things of that nature, go down. And so people need to realize that healthcare care as an industry is very important, not only for the well-being of our citizens, but also for the well-being of the economy. When you have an industry that accounts for almost 18% of the workforce within the, the state, it's very important to keep that going.
1: I have a just a, a practical question. I, Colorado is known for this in-migration. And uh, how much of the wonderful services that we're receiving are people that are trained in Colorado to, to go into the nursing profession or the support professions or as physicians relative to those that we currently have in Colorado? Do we import, I don't know, 20% of our physicians or 20% of our nurses, or are all of them, uh, and physicians and nurses and support, educated right here in Colorado?
0: I would say for the most part, prior to COVID, the majority of people working in the healthcare industry, as far as nurses and physicians are concerned, came from outside of Colorado. Colorado was a very attractive place for medical professionals to work. Uh, people enjoy the outdoor environment. Uh, they enjoy the low crime, they enjoy the relatively uh, inexpensive housing, et cetera, that Colorado enjoyed. However, more recently, all those factors have changed, and I'm sure uh, your listeners are very aware that the housing costs in Colorado continue to increase, and that's driving people away. Uh, people, particularly nurses and Respiratory therapists and pharmacy techs and the others can't afford to live in Colorado anymore with the salaries that they're making, therefore they're leaving the state. Same is true with physicians. When we uh, tried to recruit physicians, one of the main uh, objections for those physicians is how expensive it costs to live in Colorado, particularly if you uh, want to commute because you can't live in a metropolitan area because of the cost of living. All those factors are now having people leave the state. So I think more and more people are, uh, we're having difficulty getting people to work in the state. And there's a shortage of all those individuals. Physicians are retiring. Burnout is very high in the medical profession. So people are leaving the profession. And so we're becoming uh, aware of a shortage of those professionals, physicians, nurses, and others. So I think your question points out one of the difficulties that the healthcare industry is beginning to experience, and that is the shortage of these trained individuals.
1: It's not quite the answer I think we hope to hear, but thank you for enlightening us on that. I I, I want to go back to the 744,000 Colorado jobs, being the direct uh, employment as well as the the, the, uh, supplemental jobs associated with it. Uh, What kind of an economic impact are we talking about when it comes to taxes and, uh, and support of the economy and taxes, because as you and I both know, uh, the general fund of Colorado has been growing rather uh, nicely. And how much of that's been contributed to by the, uh, the, uh, the healthcare environment?
0: Well, it is estimated that about $1 billion in Colorado tax revenue is generated by the healthcare industry just in employment. And then you've got property taxes. You've got a variety of other sources of income for the state that are directly related to the healthcare industry. Uh, If you think about it, when a healthcare facility expands, that contributes a lot to the community. Uh, Labor costs, uh, lumber and things of that nature, contractors just to keep the hospitals and clinics operating efficiently, all these things contribute to our Colorado economy. And so it is estimated that all told, there are millions of uh, billions of dollars directly attributed to the healthcare industry, about uh, $147 billion in sales directly related to the healthcare industry. So it is quite large. You know, one of the
1: things that, that we've had podcasts in the past, we talked about the Colorado option. And we chatted uh, with others about the uh, Colorado option, I guess three or four years ago, uh, was discussing the inordinate amount of profits that the hospitals were making. But in the report, you're saying, hey, wait a minute. Post COVID, the healthcare industry is having some financial struggles. Hey, what's going on that in four years there could be such a dramatic change?
0: Well, I'm not sure uh, that there's been a dramatic change. I think there's been a change in awareness as opposed to a change in what's actually going on. One of the things I think people should realize when they talk about health care as a profession. the number one thing that I think healthcare the healthcare industry needs to keep its eye on is the quality of services that we provide that What that means is that if you need health care. You should expect and demand that you receive the highest health care that's possible uh, based on technology and knowledge and so forth. But coupled with that is access to that health care. It's very important that the citizens of Colorado have access to good health care when they need it, where they need it. But finally, the other uh, piece of that three-pronged stool is affordability. And that's where the Colorado option comes into place. When we say affordability, we not only mean affordability for the consumer, we mean affordability for the providers, meaning the hospitals and clinics. They need to be able to at least, uh, break even, if not make some money. And then you've got affordability of the providers, meaning the physicians and so forth. They, they can't lose money every time they see a patient. And then affordability for the insurers or the payers. Now, the Colorado option is looking at only the price. Of what healthcare costs. And the Colorado option is designed to decrease the price that the consumers pay for a given service. Colorado option does not take into account the cost of that service. So let me give you an example. Colorado option dictates that there'll be a 5% reduction in premiums that the consumer pays for insurance. However, medical inflation is increasing at a much higher rate, not decreasing, meaning the cost of supplies, the cost of workforce, the cost of pharmaceuticals, the cost of medical equipment, all those things are outpacing the consumer inflation index. So you have a situation where the industry is providing services that cost more and you're being reimbursed less because the price is going down. And that's why there's a lot of tension between uh, the Colorado option and the people who are providing the services.
1: Uh, Dr. Washington, I'm, I'm I'm a finance guy, and what you're telling me is that's not a very good business model. If I'm providing any kind of a product or service and I'm being told the price of that service has to go down, but yet the cost of providing it is going up. One number I do know is that post-pandemic, um, we're paying about a dollar twenty more for the th- same thing we received uh, 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 pre-pandemic. And you're telling me during that same period of time, certain, the costs of, of medical treatment have gone up, and yet we're being told that we can't get as much money to cover the cost of that going up. Explain that, that rationale.
0: Well, it's not rational, so I can't explain the rationale. I can explain the consequences. Let me give you another data point before I expand on your question. Uh, the government, Medicare and Medicaid, traditionally have paid less for a service than the cost of that service. And the reason that's been uh, tolerated, if you will, is that hospitals and physicians will charge a little bit more for uh, commercial-insured patients or for self-pay patients to make up that difference. So let me put it in terms that uh, people will understand. If, if it costs me as a hospital or a clinic or a physician $1 to provide a service, not, the, not what the uh, consumer is going to be charged. We're not talking about charges. We're talking about the cost, the cost of the service, when you take into account labor and all those other variables, it costs $1. And Medicare is going to pay 85 or $0.80 cents for that service. That means $0.20 cents is lost every time that service is provided. Now, if there's any other industry that it would exist with that model without any supplemental income, they would go out of business very, very quickly. And put on top of that, the Colorado option is saying we're going to decrease that price we pay every year for three years. So that model's not going to exist very long. You're absolutely correct about that. But at the same time, consider all the variables that go into that cost. I know people would like to think that it's just hospitals, physicians, and clinics making a profit. And so they're making more and more money and that's what the problem is. Now there's some hospitals and a few hospital systems that are in fact making a profit. But if you consider a margin of uh, a successful or comfortable margin being 4%, for the listener, that means that you make 4% uh, quote profit uh, on your enterprise and then you reinvest that 4% into expansion or remodeling, new technology, new uh, techniques and so on, that 4% gets taken up very quickly. There's 70% of our hospitals in our state that are not making that 4% margin at the present time. So you may hear one or two hospitals are making a lot of money, but 70% of the hospitals in the state aren't making that
1: 4%. Wait, stop. I've got to stop you there. I'm sorry. You're telling me seventy okay. percent of what is being provided for health care in the hospitals, which is a significant part of the foundation of of our healthcare system is not making money. Within what in the world are they doing to to financially make their ends meet? I, I mean, I help me. Great,
0: great question, and the answer is they're cutting back on services. And one of the things the report outlines, and I would encourage your listeners to get the report from the Common Sense Institute. It outlines several instances where hospitals throughout the state are cutting back in services because what you have to do as a, as a business is say I can't continue to lose money so I'm going to cut back on services that cost more or services that aren't being widely utilized in, a, in order to save some money. And we see that most likely in pediatrics, OBGYN, and mental health services. So, you're going to find throughout the state those services, pediatrics, OBGYN, and psychiatric or um, behavioral health services are going to become harder and harder to obtain because facilities aren't going to offer those services any longer. This is true in rural Colorado. It's true in uh, metropolitan areas as well.
1: Okay. I'm going to pretend that I'm the kind of the sarcastic listener here and saying, now, wait a minute. We all know that. That the doctors, there's a lot of things that doctors do that a uh, a physician's assistant could do at a lot cheaper cost, or that a practice, somebody is a practicing nurse uh, uh, could do at a lot less cost. Uh, is the answer just to reorganize the health environment and who provides it, and we're just being forced to do it, and and the health industry is being just kind of stubborn and not moving into the next century?
0: Well, I think that's probably not accurate. Uh, at least the answer is not accurate. The observation is very accurate. And that is we can do a much better job of um, using other service providers other than physicians for a lot of things. And a lot of places are doing that with nurse practitioners, physician assistants, etc. The other thing that COVID has taught us is that we can do a lot of health care by telemedicine. And it may surprise you that when telemedicine was first introduced, there were so many regulations that prohibited the use of telemedicine, including billing and malpractice and all sorts of uh, barriers to be using uh, telemedicine. But now, since COVID came around and we were forced to do so, the regulations have been relaxed And telemedicine is much more popular and much easier to provide than it was before. That's an example of how the industry is changing. But I have to remind the listeners that it's not just the providers that are costing uh, more. If you think about pharmaceuticals, there are medications that when I was in practice for the last 20 or 30 years, use these medications so they're not new but the price of those medications that the industry has to pay now has outpaced inflation let me put that another way it's not just new medications that are being very expensive it's some medications that are around 20 30 years that are becoming more and more expensive uh that's one example supply chain costs the cost of uh creating or manufacturing ventilators or cat scanners or those kinds of uh fixed medical equipment are going up much faster than inflation. And then workforce costs are going up. You know, when there was a shortage of nurses because of burnout, because they were uh, able to become traveling nurses, meaning they go to other states to work for a higher amount of money, that put a lot of stress on the workforce issues within all healthcare facilities. So it's not just how care is being delivered, it's how expensive care has become due to what we call medical inflation, all of those things contribute to the cost and the high cost of medical care.
1: Uh, you know, you you raised something on uh, that's really kind of interesting, and in that we initially talked about the doctors and, and the nurses, and and in the report it talks about the, the shortage that looks like we're going to have in the future. Uh, the old demand and supply of economics is such that if you don't have as much supply and you have – the same amount or more demand, you know, prices are going to go up. So how in the world do you justify decreasing costs unless there's some incredible innovation when you have a shortage of the main players or providers in the healthcare industry? Uh, or as I said before, am I missing something here?
0: No, you're you're exactly right as far as the tension that the report is is hopefully exposing to the citizens of Colorado and that is the healthcare industry is under a lot of stress and unless and until we start to pay attention to the various causes of that stress and make very thoughtful solutions, uh, we're going to see this exacerbate. For example, physicians are getting burned out. They had to work very hard in somewhat dangerous conditions during the COVID pandemic. A lot of physicians just retired, said, I'm not doing this anymore. Same is true with nurses, but they're not being replaced as fast as they are leaving the workforce. And so, as you pointed out earlier, we're going to have to have more innovative ways of taking care of people, including mid-levels, including uh, people taking personal responsibility, including telemedicine. That will help, but until we address directly the high costs and the medical inflation that exists, these dynamics are still going to be very important. As long as pharmaceuticals are costing more and more money and supply chains or items are costing more and more money, but the reimbursement for the services is going down, that's not a model that's going to exist very long.
1: I have a kind of a follow-up to that, and you, you mentioned that we need to do something. Let me ask it in three parts. The legislative session is just kicking off. Let's start with them. What do you hope that uh, they will address in this session with regards to health care policy?
0: Well, I think they they need to begin to understand why there's a problem before they can develop solutions. So, for example, I think the cost of pharmaceuticals is, is running away from what it should be doing, in my opinion. Now. We do need to have uh, research available for the pharmaceutical industry. I really support that. But I think if they're having profits that are unheard of prior to the COVID uh, pandemic, I think that needs to be addressed. I think the cost of some other supplies uh, which are not being regulated, and I'm not a big fan of over-regulation, but I am a big fan of making sure we understand what's what's reasonable and what isn't. I think the traveling nurse industry needs to be looked at carefully because their margins are greater than 50% since COVID because they had high demand. So I, I think there are some things that can be looked into. And then I think citizens have a more in my, in our subsequent report from CSI is going to show this, I believe that people have to take some personal responsibility for their own healthcare. Uh, they can't keep relying on somebody else to make sure they take their medications, to make sure they go to the physicians and other healthcare environments for, for preventative services and things of that nature. I think it's going to take a true team effort with all parties involved to get our hands around this problem.
1: You, know, I, you, you started to address the second part of the question I wanted to have, and that is that taking personal responsibility. It seems to me that. That's another uh, answer to the health care issue. Talk about taking personal responsibility. Like, what are low hanging fruit that the listeners ought to be taking into account to, um, you know, for better health care for themselves and, in turn, uh, not overwhelming the health care industry?
0: I think it starts with education. I think uh, the health care industry can do a better job of educating patients and families about the importance of preventative care. Uh, I think it's it's been well shown that say, for example, colonoscopies and mammograms, for example, will detect problems sooner uh, than otherwise. And then the treatment outcomes are much better the earlier you enter into the system. I think that's one example. I think once you've been diagnosed with a chronic illness, giving all the support necessary so that you can take care of that chronic illness, for example, if you're a diabetic and you are taking your insulin, but you're not paying attention to your diet and exercise, uh, that contributes to a poor outcome. Now, it gets more involved because if you live in an environment where you can't get healthy fruits and vegetables at the grocery store for a reasonable price, then you won't do that. You'll use a lot of junk food. That makes your diabetes worse if you don't have access to a place to safely exercise, if you don't have access to a pharmacy to get your medications, particularly in a rural area, all these things which we call collectively the social determinants of health, if we don't start to pay attention to those and make uh, these items more um, user-friendly, uh, I think that's a problem. But even if we make them very user friendly, we have to give some personal responsibility to the patient and the family to take advantage of those services. Only then will we begin to see a healthier population.
1: Yeah, talking about exercise, I'm not real certain that we all need a gym. I'm not trying to argue with you, but you know, 30 a 30 minute walk every day. I understand from what I have read. Now you can correct me. Is a big deterrent with regards to uh, health health issues and can help you with regards to your cardiovascular system, which, as I understand, is one of the areas where you have, uh, it can have significant problems. Uh, or am I missing my overstating?
0: I that? You're absolutely correct, and I wouldn't argue with you at all. Uh, I think if you, if the consumer thinks you have to be an athlete, have to join a gym, have to exercise uh, in continuous manner for 30 minutes every day, the majority of people aren't going to do that. When you go to the supermarket, if you park away from the front door and walk vigorously to the front door, if you take a couple of flights of stairs instead of an elevator, those kinds of things begin to add up. And, uh, you know, it's a cumulative part of physical activity, not just uh, getting your heart rate up to a certain level, and if you don't do that, you're an absolute failure, or if you don't get the required or recommended number of steps in every day, according to your smartwatch, you're an absolute failure. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about increases in daily physical activity. Same is true with nutrition. If you eat an apple instead of a candy bar, that's a victory. If you turn off the TV and go for a walk around the block, that's a victory. So these little steps are very important in making a population healthier.
1: You know, many of our our podcast listeners are going to think about the, que- the point you made about the excessive profits in pharmaceutical, and and then the excessive profits in the visiting nurses, and they will say, "Hey, wait a minute! That's just inviting competition." Now that takes time, of course, but, but uh, you, I'm a business guy. You tell me where somebody's making a whole lot of profits related to my industry, and I'm going to find a way to figure out how to deliver that service. Or am I, am I, again, am I just being too idealistic from an economics perspective?
0: Well, let's look at the nurses, for example. And I'll correct you, it's not the visiting nurses. It's called traveling nurses. Visiting nurses are very important. In fact, visiting nurses will help decrease the cost to deliver health care. If you are in a hospital and you can be discharged earlier so you're at home, and a visiting nurse comes to your house once or twice a day to check your dressings, make sure you're on your medication, et cetera, that's very important. We're not talking about visiting nurses. We're talking about traveling nurses. Now, what a traveling nurse does is they will join up with a travel agency, if you will, and let's say there's a hospital in a certain location that's going to pay two to three times what that hospital normally pays for a nurse, just so they have nurses uh, to uh, staff their hospital, those nurses are going to do that. We've seen nurses who make a year's worth of salary in four, three or four months going to one of these travel locations. That really increases the labor costs of a hospital, and some hospitals are paying over 50% of their total costs in just labor, and that number continues to increase now. When the COVID pandemic started to decrease, these traveling uh, agencies uh, weren't in high demand as they were during COVID. However, if you're a nurse working there the whole time in the trenches, and you say, "Well, this nurse was making four times what I was making," I need to make that amount of money too. Then, uh, because they're living in inflation environment, you know, all their costs are going up, and they say, "I, I need to make more money." So. In order to retain those nurses, the hospitals are having to pay more, and that becomes a vicious cycle. So we need to have some type of regulation, in my opinion, to decrease the profitability of these traveling nursing organizations because they don't pass all of their, their profits on to those individual nurses. So I think that's one example of how we have to have a good, basic conversation about one of the drivers of healthcare costs.
1: Dr. Washington, I must say that uh, you've uh, enlightened me uh, even further beyond the CSI report. And thank you for doing the CSI report and, and explaining the issue so clearly for us Coloradoans. And uh, I also want to thank you for taking my questions and so eloquently uh, expanding on the, some of the Information that was there. Any last comments you'd like to make uh, for the podcast?
0: Well, I, I appreciate the CSI and, and the efforts to uh, enlighten everyone on the healthcare industry. Industry's not going away anymore. Uh, we're all going to be here. We're all dedicated to the health and well being of the citizens of the state. But I think we need to open our eyes and do a better job of making it affordable.
1: Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Your thank, time?
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Common Sense Digest. For more on today's topic, as well as our research on the most pressing public policy issues facing Colorado, please visit commonsenseinstituteco.org. The preceding episode, along with all others, is available on Podcatchers Everywhere or on our website under the podcast tab. Our technical producer is John Ekstrom and Deft Communications. This has been a production of the Common Sense Institute.